the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying, um, from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish that they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not let your freedom to in, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the word of the Lord. Now join me in praying for Robin as he comes with the word. Father God, we thank you that you have given us a new law that's written in our hearts through Christ Jesus, and that is that we love one another. Father, we pray that as Robin comes this morning, that you would give him all that he needs to be able to communicate your words after you. Father, we pray that nothing would remain except those things that will bear fruit um, in people's lives, because we know that your word does not go forward without accomplishing what it does. But I pray, Lord, that he would be the first um, listener, the first learner, the first to be changed, so that what he communicates comes from a changed and humble heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So we're looking at some of the one another's in the New Testament. Um, I call this series one anothering. That's not really, really a word, but you get the idea. So um, last week we looked at how loving one another works out in bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Now those aspects of loving one another could be described as responsive. They have to do with how we respond to those around us in the church, how we give them space to be who they are and allow the Holy Spirit to work, with, work within them. But this morning, I want to look at something that's a bit more proactive. Forgiving one another and bearing with one another can help stop our relationships, falling, our, our relationships from falling apart. But how do we build relationships? How do we build community? The English word community comes from the word common. It means a group of people who have something in common. The neighborhood they live in, the profession they work in, so that's why we talk about the medical, medical community. Their faith, so we talk about the Christian community. We are here as part of the international community. We're all from, almost all of us, are from somewhere else, right? That's part of... Well, that's something we share together. And that's what makes us a community. We see ourselves as having something in common with others. 
Now, being part of a community can be a good thing, and it can be a bad thing, right? Communities can be safe places where everyone knows everyone else and they all watch out for their neighbor. Communities, communities can also be controlling places where everyone knows everyone else and watches their neighbor, right? Sometimes they're both. During the first Gulf War, when it was dangerous for foreigners where we were living in Peshawar, our Pashtun neighbors told us, if there's any trouble, climb over the wall to us. We have guns, we will protect you. On the other hand, they also knew everybody who came and went to our house. Um, we had only been in our house for a few weeks when I went to the bazaar to get a, a part to replace the toilet, you know, to fix the toilet. Um, it was a good 10 or 15 minutes walk to the bazaar, but when I got to the store, the guy already knew who I was and where I lived. <laughs> At the other end of the scale, there are those kinds of security societies rather that um, many of us come from. Societies where people see themselves primarily as individuals. And personal freedom is a strong value. Freedom to think what you want, do what you want, go where you want. Paul addresses that tension in Galatians 5.13. I'm going to read this from the New Revised Standard Version. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love, become slaves to one another. Now, like, like me, you're probably um, more accustomed to reading that verse as it was read for us this morning. In love, serve one another. But I was really struck when I read it in the NRSV, which trans translates it this way. Become slaves to one another. It's actually a good translation. Um, the word doulos, the verb or the verb form that's used here, means slave or to serve as a slave. Most translations render it as servant or serve because that's what slaves do. But I think we miss something of the meaning if we don't recognize the underlying word actually means slave. We don't respond well to that, do we? You know, the game show... Who Wants to Be a Millionaire has been running for 24 years. I checked it out. 24 years. First appeared in the UK in 1989. The Indian version inspired an Oscar-winning movie, Slumdog Millionaire, right? It's a good movie. Um, I'm pretty sure a show with the title Who Wants to Be a Slave wouldn't even get started, right? Now, there are organizations devoted to eradicate slavery and human trafficking, and rightly so. Slavery is a bad thing. So why does Paul use it positively here? Let's see what Paul meant when he chose to call us to be slaves of one another. Well, the first thing to, to note is that Galatians, as a book, is actually about freedom. See, most of the New Testament letters are structured in a similar way. They have you know four main sections. They start with... Uh, a greeting, like any letter, then there's a, a blessing or thanksgiving or prayer for the person or the community receiving the letter. At the other end, there are things like the, the writer's travel plans, um, personal notes to various people, a doxology. In the middle, there's two main sections. The first addresses various issues, usually of a, of a theological nature, things that we should believe. And the second is ethical teaching, which is about how we should live. 
And you see that in Romans, the Corinthian letters, Ephesians, Colossians, pretty much all of them. Galatians is different. There's a standard form of greeting. Paul to the church in Galatia, greetings, grace, peace, etc. That's the equivalent of English in saying, dear so-and-so, I trust this letter finds you well. But then instead of, I thank God for you, or I always pray for you, or something similar like that, we get, what in the world do you think you're doing? Which is basically the way Paul starts. Actually, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. Like, that's really very blunt, you know? He's also quite blunt about various other things and what we just, just had read for us, right? Paul is obviously very upset with the Galatians because they have deserted the freedom of the gospel and they're trying to make themselves righteous by keeping rules. They have chosen what Paul would call the way of slavery rather than the way of relationship. So it's not surprising that the word slave comes up a lot in Galatians, 10 times in fact. In Galatians 1.10, Paul calls himself a slave of Christ. Then there's his main argument that freedom in the gospel is better than slavery under the law. Chapter 3, verse 28. There is now no longer Jew nor Greek, no longer slave nor free, no longer male nor female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 1. My point is this. Heirs, as long as they are minors, are no better than slaves, though they are the owners of all the property. Chapter 4, verses 7, and 9, 7 to 9. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to beings that by nature are not gods. Now, however, you, th that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly elemental spirit spirits? How can you want to be enslaved to them again? Verse 424, sorry, chapter 424. Now, this is an allegory. These women are two covenants. One woman is, in, in fact, is Hagar from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. And then finally, first, chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So you can see Paul's line of thought here. You were slaves under various spiritual powers. You have been set free from those powers when you put your faith in Jesus. Don't make yourselves slaves again, even if it is to Jewish rules. So thus far in the letter, Paul's taking a pretty dim view of slavery. Not surprising, really, because, you know, slaves in the first century, for the most part, you know, were not treated well. Not, maybe not as badly as industrial slavery in the 18th and 19th century and, and the North, North Atlantic slave trade. But still, it wasn't wonderful to be a slave. Paul's whole argument is it's better to be free than a slave. Then the last time he uses the word in verse five, chapter 5, verse 13, he turns it on his head and he tells the Galatians to become slaves of one another. Paul essentially says to the Galatians, okay, you want to be slaves? Here's how you can be slaves in a good way. Be slaves of one another. Lay down your freedom to live for yourself and choose to serve one another. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves 
to one another. A slave is someone who does someone else's bidding. One of the Bible dictionaries puts it well. A slave is someone who is devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. We see that in, in the interaction between the centurion and Jesus. The centurion says, I tell my slave to go somewhere and he goes. I tell him to do something and he does it. A slave doesn't put their own priorities first. Actually, as a slave, you don't really have any priorities. He, he works to serve the interests of others. And Paul says that that attitude should also characterize our relationships with one another. Why? Why should we serve one another? Why should we put our brothers and sisters' priorities first? Well, for one thing, it builds community. The story of the Good Samaritan is so familiar with us that we sometimes miss some of the points. Well, one of the points is that no one knew who the man was who was robbed. The text tells us that he'd been beaten unconscious and stripped naked. In the first, in the first century Palestine, you could tell pretty much who someone was by their clothes. The priest and the Levi who walked past, you'd be able to instantly recognize them by their clothes. So would anyone else, you know, Greeks, Jews, Samaritans, travelers from other regions. People generally dressed according to their, where they were from and what their ethnic group was. The man on the road was stripped naked. You couldn't tell where he was from. He was also unconscious. So you couldn't tell from his accent where he came from. I like trying to identify people's accents. Sometimes that gets me into trouble. He probably wasn't an, a Samaritan himself. So the Samaritan who found him had no obligation to help him because you know, you're obliged to help your own people and you're not obliged to help other people, right? That's the way it works. But he reached out to help. He crossed a barrier and began to build a relationship to draw this man into community. Back in the late 90s, when the Taliban were in control of Afghanistan for the first time, a bus was going down from Kabul to Jalalabad, and it was stopped by a Taliban control. Now, in those days, it was common for buses to be stopped and searched for Hazaras. The Hazaras are an oppressed Shia minority in Afghanistan. And about, until about 70 years ago, they were routinely enslaved by the Pashtuns. They're also, interestingly enough, the, the, the community from which the majority of the Afghan church is drawn. So the, so the buses would be, would be stopped and any Hazaras on the, on the bus would be dragged off and basically summar, summarily killed by the Pashtun Taliban. And that was the intention of this patrol. There was only one Hazara on the bus, but when the Taliban came and tried to take him off to kill him, the Pashtun sitting next to him intervened. He basically said, I'm an Afghan, this man is an Afghan, if you want to take him, you'll have to take me too. He extended the Pashtun cultural value of protection to someone who had no ethnic right to it. He put his own life at risk for someone who was looked down on, and by doing that, he extended the community of safety to include him. It's really hard to think of a better example of being devoted to another to disregard of your own interests. Because the Taliban could have just taken him off and killed him, as, killed him as well. Serving people 
lets them move from being outsiders to being neighbors. It's a way to build community. And we have lots of opportunities to help move people from being outsiders to being neighbors. Our community is in a constant state of flux. As we just, all the, all the, the, the newcomers and visitors this morning, our community is in a constant state of flux. When new people arrive, we have the opportunity to reach out, invite them in, include them. Now, I know that can get tiring after a while, depending on your person. Well, for some people, it's like, more new people! That's, that's our daughter. Our daughter's like that. Um, when, we, when we were living in Peshawar, we would have teams come and stay with us. And the more people came, the happier she was. We had like 25 people in our house one, one time over Christmas. She was ecstatic. Her parents, on the other hand, not so much. <laughs> But I recognize there are personality difference, differences involved in this. And if you're more of an introvert, you might find it difficult to keep on reaching out to people. I get that. But reaching out and serving newcomers, maybe by helping them set up home, taking them to the bazaar, um, bazaar, sorry. <laughs> I still say that wrong. Uh, <laughs> explaining how things work here, it's, it's a great way to serve your brothers and sisters. We also serve one another because it's Jesus' way of getting things done. Mark 10, 43 to 45. Whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. I think this will be my last reference to the Queen for a while. But anyway, um, Justin Welby, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, um, who, you should read his testimony. It's actually an amazing testimony. Anyway, uh, Justin, Justin Welby, who's the Archbishop of Canterbury, said at the uh, Queen's funeral just past Monday, the pattern for many leaders is to be exalted in life and forgotten after death. Um, I think he was very much aware that he had most of the world leaders in his congregation at that point. <laughs> Going, yeah, there's a, there's a preacher taking advantage of an opportunity to speak to people. Anyway, um, to me, he said a few other things as well. Anyway, um, exalted in life and forgotten after death. The pattern for all who serve God, famous or obscure, respected or ignored, is that death is a door to glory. It goes on to say, in 1953, this queen began her coronation with silent prayer just there at the high altar. Her allegiance to God was given before any person gave allegiance to her. Her service to so many people in this nation, the Commonwealth and the world, had its foundation in her following Christ, God himself, who said that he came to be served, he came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In recent decades, there's been a lot of interest in, amongst management consultants in servant leadership. Management ex experts have noted it's much more effective to lead by serving than to lead, lead by commanding or cajoling or berating people. You would think that would be like, you know, obvious, but apparently I did lots of studies to find that out. Um, we miss the point if we reduce servant leadership to a technique, a means to an end. But our, our essential fullness makes it easy for us to take a good thing intended to bless others and turn it around as a way to just 
pursue our own agendas, to take servant leadership and make it a technique to make our company or whatever more successful. We had a couple of, there's a lot of, a lot of Peshawar stories in, in this message. Sorry about that. That's just the way it come, comes out. We had a couple on a, on a team uh, in Peshawar who just didn't seem to fit in. Um, they'd be seconded from a very good sending agency whose people were normally top-notch. But somehow, they just didn't seem to fit in with the ethos of the team. After some investigation, it turned out they weren't actually there to serve the Afghan refugees. They were there, they were there to pad their resumes. You know, a couple of years working in you know, refugee work looks good on your CV, right? They were both psychiatric nurses and they'd been able to manipulate their answers to all the questions and interviews that normally weeded out people who weren't in har harmony with the ethos of the organization. In the end, they were recalled and dismissed by their sending agency. See, the call is not to appear to serve others. The call is not to make it look like you're serving others. Well, you're actually still pursuing your own agenda. The call is to actually serve others to discover their priorities and to put yourself at their, at their service. Finally, we serve one another because Jesus not only taught it, he demonstrated it. In John 13, 14, he, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, you are right for that's what I am. So if I, your teacher, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Jesus says explicitly here, I have set you an example. We often, depending on what background you come from in the church, you may have a greater or lesser emphasis on Jesus as an example. The, the, there's theological reasons why some people more focus on him as an example if you're like a Mennonite or Anabaptist background and less on Jesus as an example if you come from some other backgrounds. But Jesus says here explicitly, I've set you an example. That means you're supposed to do this, right? When you live in a hot, dusty country, feet can be nasty, smelly, dirty things. You don't talk about feet in many cultures. If you have to mentioned word foot, you say, excuse me. Um, it's rude. You don't point your feet at people. That makes Jesus washing the disciples' feet incredibly radical. It was the job of the lowest slave in the house. It was the original entry-level position because they came in the door and you washed their feet at the entry point of the house, right? It was something you, you, know, you, start, you, you tried to get away from. Jesus was a respected teacher, someone to be honored and served. That's why his action in washing the disciples' feet was so shocking. It's like having the queen clean out a clogged toilet for you. But once again, this is something that we can choose to do. Others can't force it upon us. The disciples were busy arguing about who would serve whom when Jesus got up and served them all. You can't sit in judgment and say, well, he or she should be serving me. What kind of Christian are they? That's not the way it works. All you can say is, I will serve them because Jesus sent me this example.
This is a story that's not from Peshawar. Um, this is something I read a number of years ago. One evening, a number of years ago, U.S. Senator John Stennis had just arrived home. After parking the car, he went to walk towards his front door. Then it happened. Two people came out of the darkness, robbed him, and shot him twice. News of the shooting of Senator Stennis, the chairman of the powerful Armed Forces Committee, shocked Washington and the whole U.S. For nearly seven hours, he was on the operating table. Less than two hours after the shooting, another politician was driving home when he heard the news on the radio, turned his car around, and drove directly to the hospital. In the hospital, he noticed that the staff was swamped and could not keep up with the incoming calls about the senator's condition. He spotted an unattended switchboard, sat down, and voluntarily went to work. He continued taking calls until daylight. Sometime during the next day, he stood up, stretched, put on his overcoat, and just before leaving, he introduced himself quietly to the other operator. I'm Mark Hatfield, happy to help out. Then Senator Mark Hatfield unobtrusively walked out. Those who have been attending the Bible, this Wednesday night Bible study will know that Senator Mark Hatfield is one of my heroes. <laughs> um, it's, you, know, you know, a few weeks ago I talked about the, the first music you heard when you first became, became a Christian. Um, well, the first books you read when you first become a Christian are also really influential. And somehow or other, one of the very first books I ever read when I first became a Christian was Mark Hartfield's autobiography, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. And has shaped my approach to leadership for my entire life. So anyway, I recommend it. So, um, so what, are the few, what are a few ways we can serve each other? So a few verses later, Paul directs the Galatians to bear one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So what kind of burdens is Paul talking about? Well, there are lit literal physical burdens, right? Helping people literally carry burdens, like being willing to help out when someone's moving or packing. I hate packing. I more than, I despise packing. I, in my, you think, you know, the, the lifestyle we've, you know, we've followed, that I'd get used to it? No, Marilyn will tell you, it's like, I climb, I climb the walls. Anyway, <clears throat> and then of course, when when we when, when we went back from Pakistan to Canada, we were only going for a year, and then we end up staying for twelve years. <laughs> That's happened, right? Uh, so I, I had to go back by myself without Marilyn to help me and pack up an entire house. I was really thankful for all the people who helped. Seriously, um, always appreciate when people be willing to help. Um, and, and just, you know, literal, literal physical work. Um, you're sitting in a relatively clean room this morning thanks to the, the, the youth from Refuge. Um, so work was done in this building yesterday, and when they arrived for their, their meeting last night, all the chairs were stacked in the middle of the room. And the place was covered in plaster dust. And, all, and they, they cleaned this place for us. So, yeah. And you wouldn't have known that if I hadn't told you. Right? That's part of being a servant. Right? There are financial burdens. 
Now that's tricky because people don't like to talk about their finances, but there are people in our community who struggle financially. It's good to have your eyes open and ears open to be aware of that. We can take up the burden of caring for someone um, for the, when someone's sick or unable to, you know, to cook meals. It's been wonderful to see that in the past as, you know, this community has, has really helped out in that way. Looking after people's kids so they can have a day off from being mom and dad, right? Um, there are emotional and spiritual burdens. In any community, there are people who are grieving, people who have suffered loss, people who are depressed or sad, anxious, um, difficult family situations. We can help each other bear these kinds of burdens just by being there, by expressing care and concern, by listening, by praying with them and praying for them, by ignoring, by acknowledging their hurt rather than ignoring it because we don't know the right words to say or it makes us feel uncomfortable. Sometimes all pe people, don't, people don't want you to solve their problems. They just need you to recognize that they have a problem and that helps them carry it, okay? You don't have to feel like you have to go have a solution. Uh, okay, so just, just recognize that people are struggling is in itself helpful. That's not an exhaustive list, it's just examples. The key is to be aware. Be looking for opportunities to serve one another, to have our eyes and ears open for signs that they might need some help. As Paul says in Galatians 6.10, So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, uh, you have brought us together as a community of faith. That's really the only thing that binds us, the primary thing that binds us here is our common commitment to you, our common desire to serve you, our common desire to walk in your footsteps. Lord, we pray that you would give us grace, um, grace to be aware of people's needs. I know there are some people in this congregation who have really sensitive antenna to other people's needs and other people's experiences and emotions. And I know there's other people in this congregation who are more like me, who need to be smacked across the back of the head. Lord Jesus, help us all to be aware of other people's needs and looking for ways to serve even before we're asked. Lord Jesus, we want to be a people who are known for their love for one another. And that can only happen if it's expressed outwardly in service and care for one another. Lord, we continue to pray for the nation of Ukraine and the um, horrible war that's going on there. Lord, we pray that it won't escalate. We read this week about the partial mobilization in Russia and Lord we pray for those who are um, many who are seeking to flee the country to get to avoid that and hear about the um, 
the protests that are beginning there. Lord, we pray that you would be at work in hearts and lives at the, at the, at the highest levels in that country to see this situation changed. And Lord, we just pray for ordinary people who are um, frightened and scared of what might happen, particularly for families as men are being called up. Uh, Lord, that you would be a comfort there. Lord, to our east, we pray for Iran, recognizing that there's levels of... Um, of protest and unrest there that's been, I don't know, I don't, I don't remember anything like this in the news. Um, that there'd be many years, Lord, of people suffering and being, being beaten and that kind of stuff by police and authorities. And it seems almost like this might be the straw that makes a difference. Lord, we recognize we have Iranians in our own community, in the wider community, in this city, um, people who can't go back there because of their faith in you. So Lord, we pray for that land, beautiful land, wonderful people. Lord, that they would be free. Lord, as, we've, we, as we read in your word about the, just how valuable freedom is, Lord, we pray that they would be free. Free to, to, whether it's to change their faith or to practice their faith as they want to, Lord, that they would be free. That's, what, that's all we ask. And Lord, we pray for those who are being, um, who are putting their lives on the line as they, as they protest. 30 odd people have been killed in the protests, Lord. Pray that you'd safeguard folks. Lord, recognize that there's a, a wave of um, economic hardship around the world. And the, part of that is the um, aftermath of COVID. Part of it is a result of the war in Ukraine. Um, 86 migrants from Lebanon sank and died when they sank, their boat sank off Syria. Lord, People are struggling to make ends meet and, and seeking new places to live and in the process, losing their lives. Lord, we pray for those who lost loved ones. We pray for the millions of people on the refugee highways from Central Asia and the Horn of Africa into Europe, from South America and Central America into North America. Lord, um, from... North Africa, across the Mediterranean, into Europe. Lord, people who are so desperate that they're willing to die in the hope of a new life. Lord, I pray that they might, in that search for a new life, might find new life in you. And in that, Lord, that they would also be led by you into a new place of 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 where every man needs this vine and fig tree can live in peace and unafraid, Lord. That is your vision for all of humanity. And that's all that these people are seeking. So we pray for that, that they would get that, Lord. Lord, we pray for um, Europe as 
winter is approaching and they have to make some hard decisions about um, fuel shortages and managing that. Or would you give those in leadership wisdom? And Lord, we pray that the average person who needs to, if this is going to work and it's going to hopefully bring the war in Ukraine to a, a, a sooner end, then the average person on the street is going to need the, the grace to put up with some hardship this, this winter. So we pray for that, Lord. Lord, we pray for the Jewish people as the Jewish New Year begins and um, they spend the next 10 days in repentance as it leads up to the Day of Atonement. Lord, may they, may they encounter the one who has made final atonement. May they meet you as their Messiah. And Lord, we pray for this coming Saturday as, the, uh, as we meet together to worship you from so many different lands. We pray that we pray for good weather that night, Lord, because it's going to be outside. And we pray that your grace would be upon us all. Let's, as we, as we close, let's say the Lord's Prayer together. And say it in whatever you, language you feel most comfortable in, your mother tongue. Let's pray this prayer together. Our Father, who art